Episode 216, Inhumans, Season 1, Episode 3, Divide and Conquer. Welcome to Level 7. A podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Welcome to Level 7, a podcast about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And today that includes Agent Samantha, Ninja in Training, and me, Ben, Ben Avery. And we are here to talk about Inhumans because the Marvel Cinematic Universe is bigger than the Avengers now. Lots bigger. Lots, lots, lots bigger. Because you've, yes. you've got Netflix, you've got runaways coming soon um now punisher has been um i I think delayed now because of the uh the tragic stuff that happened in in las vegas which involved a lot of gun violence and so they're kind of holding back on punisher but um yes it's it's an interesting time where I guess the, the the only thing like this before this that I can think of is Star Trek, you know, where you had the Star Trek original series, Next Generation, the movies were happening, and then um, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and, and so that's an expanded universe that's going on there. But, um, man, when you think about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's really, it's very interesting just from a clinical perspective. Yeah. Of what we're getting into and what we're getting handed to us. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Just think not to the, necessarily to the scale of um, the MCU and Star Trek, but Star Wars uh, has um, some animated TV shows, comics, the expanded universe books. Are they even called expanded universe? That's what they were called. Yeah. I don't know yeah. that now. I, a lot of what was expanded universe is now called legends. And yeah. Everything new is canon, though. I mean, if you want to talk about uh, uh, an expanded universe, then you've got the comics are actually canon now, whereas before there's they were. But I guess I never felt like they were because they were just a different kind of story. And um, but, yeah, it's it's interesting. These these universes and the way that they kind of grow and, and expand. And sometimes it's intentional and planned and sometimes it's organic and. Sometimes it's just feels like they're making it up as they go along. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of the feeling I'm getting with humans right now. But yeah. It's also kind of the feeling I got with iron fist. So speaking of inhumans, I mean, iron fist is the same showrunners. And I just have to say, Samantha, I've been looking at the numbers. We don't talk about download numbers much, and I'm not going to tell people what numbers look like or anything like that. That's not important. How many people download the, the podcast are not important. What I did find interesting, though, was we had an Inhumans episode and an Iron Fist episode uh, come out in the same week. And and actually, an Iron Fist episode came out before that Inhumans episode. And the Inhumans numbers were more than twice as much 
as the Iron Fist numbers of of downloads. So I think that says something about the either our timing or people's interest. Um, but man, I had a lot of fun recording that last uh, Iron Fist episode that we did. I feel like that was one of our best episodes. Yeah, even though we were being so negative about it. <laughs> well, there was not all negative, but yeah, but... Uh, there was some some positive involved. But yeah, yeah. and some musical numbers. <laughs> I don't want to go that far. We definitely referenced some musical numbers, and, and there was some yeah. singing that happened. So, you know, fair warning for anyone who listens to the Iron <laughs> Fist episode there. But um, I had a lot of fun recording that one. So yeah, me too. So yeah, before we talk about Inhumans, though, let's talk about fairy tales. Can we, just for a brief moment, um, because I just want to remind people that Inhumans is airing on Friday nights at 9 o'clock Eastern and and Pacific, I think, and then Mountain Central, you might be getting it at at 8 o'clock. But before that is Once Upon a a Time, and if you do watch Once Upon a Time, definitely check out one of our sister podcasts, the Once Podcast, because they do an in-depth coverage of Once Upon a Time and do the same kind of thing we do here, only different because it's different people in a different way. But it's a podcast, and they cover the show. So yeah, check it out. And the other thing I want to ask you to check out is TV Time, um, and that's just because it's fun, and we don't get any kind of kickback or anything by recommending them. But uh, TV Time is fun and you know what I've been using their app for, uh, Samantha? What? To just remind me when new shows are coming. Um, the next episode and shows that I actually want to catch the next episode of. Uh, I'll get these little uh, pop-up windows on my phone telling me Orville's on tonight or um, Star Trek Discovery's on tonight, even though I'm not watching Star Trek Discovery. But, but you know who is watching Star Trek Discovery? Who? Agent Stewart. And actually, he's tackling our post-credit solo today because um, he's going to talk about some of the episodes that have been released that we that I have not seen. So that's our post-credit will be uh, Stuart talking about the first three episodes of Star Trek Discovery. And so that you have that to look forward to. And the other thing you have to look forward to is our spoiler filled discussion of Inhumans episode three. What was that title again? Divide. And conquer. Divide and conquer. If there was ever an appropriate title for a TV episode, <laughs> it's <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, they will get into it. But the way we're going to talk about the episode is just character by character because they're all divided. They're all apart from each other. It makes it very easy to talk about their their parts in this episode. So... Yeah, I think that's all the preamble. We have a couple of voicemails that we're going to listen to at the end of the episode. But for right now, let's jump in. What do you say? Let's go. Let's start with our flashbacks. Okay. Uh, Because there's a big part of this episode is kind of the divide between Black Bolt and Maximus and what made them who they, they are. And so the first flashback that we get is... It happens while Black Bolt is in prison and he's thinking and he's thinking back to his father who was king and his father talking about being king and Black Bolt's thinking about how being king is boring. He doesn't want to be king of 1,400 people. I mean, come on. And he wishes he didn't have to be. And of course, Maximus wishes that he could be, but 
That's not the way it works. The older son is more likely to, to be the one who's going to be king. But both of the sons are destined for great things. That is the uh, prediction that the father has, which, you know, any good father should should be thinking that about their children. You know, my, my children are destined for great things. And whatever that means, you know, if they're making speeches or making sandwiches, as I think Mel Gibson said that, um, but destined for great things. And then we get to see Black Bolt. Uh, we get to see him talking with his parents and the genetic. Well, he's not talking, um, but his parents <laughs> are talking to the genetic council and they're talking about how powerful Black Bolt is. And they're di- they're giving the diagnosis of his powers and he has the power to destroy Adelan on purpose or accidentally. And I want to come back to this because of the timing. This is a interesting thing. I want to, I want to talk about the timing there, but then we also get a flashback to Maximus and what happened after his transformation in the Terragenesis ceremony. And his transformation was not that he got wings, which that's obvious because he doesn't have wings. Now it's not that he got any kind of mental psychic powers, it's not that he has uh, cow feet or – I mean he, he doesn't have any – or, or a, a hand claw. No, his transformation was that he turned completely human. That It's very interesting. And no king – or no, no human can be king of inhumans. That's, that's just said outright, which when you consider his motivation and where he is moving toward, um, he's sitting in the throne now. And yeah. he's sitting in the throne thinking about these guys saying no human can be king of inhumans. So do you think the Terra Terra Genesis crystals were onto something when they're like, mm, uh, this one's a bad egg. Better put him and <laughs> just make him human. That's possible because remember they kept <laughs> saying about the Terra Genesis on Earth that there's balance, right? Yes. And that um, the Terra Genesis crystals give us what we need to balance things and yeah so of these two brothers the one is given the most powerful power of all powers and the other one is turned into a human yeah which is not a good thing because the inhumans are i don't know if we can call it racist or speciesist speciesist is that what it is elitist they're definitely elitist, elitist. no absolutely yeah. elitist you know but because yeah, cl- classism, racism, that's just all basically a sub-context of what it is to be an elitist. Well, so. and, and, but that's also where you get into, you know, what is the social structure of this place? And the social yeah. structure, and this is something I, I, we're going to have to come back to. And if there's not a resolution to this, then I don't know. I, I feel like we're headed into a place where we're getting like King Arthur going and being among the people even though it's our people going and being among human people on earth. But I don't know if we're going to get that or not, but it's a meritocracy. And if you have good powers that cause you to maybe be more, have brainier powers, then you're going to be up above. But if you have a claw hand or if you're a human, you're going to be in the mines below. And I don't know if you, I don't know if it's actual legitimate slavery in, in the sense that, you know, you're owned by someone else or you're forced into, uh, you know, a life of labor without wages. But there's definitely a an upper or a lower. I mean, it, it really does make me think of, 
you know, going back to Metropolis, the movie. Yes, I was just thinking that same thing. Where, yeah, yeah I mean, Metropolis, the movie is based on, you know, there's the working class below, and then there's the elite above. And then the whole thing is about one of the elite below um, finding a love connection with uh, one of a, a, basically a social justice um, advocate from below. And, and it changes him. And then she gets captured and uh, gets turned into a robot clone and there's all weird things that are going on and it's a silent movie so yeah it it can get boring at times but fantastic movie and interesting because of i mean it's one of the first science fiction movies ever but there is so much of the visual styling that happens in metropolis and thematic things happening in metropolis that are still being riffed on intentionally riffed on today or unintentionally being riffed on because people don't know where the source material came from and they're riffing on someone else who was riffing on that and yeah and so we have that here in on yeah the yeah like for example uh c-3po the basic concept design is based on of off of the um the robot lady the, the robot lady from metropolis yeah. yeah yeah there's some weird stuff in that movie though yeah just, just be prepared for for weirdness and for over overwrought drama. Yeah. If uh if you're the kind of person that can't sit through a really slow movie because it is a silent older film, it's a silent film, it's a little bit slow in its pacing. Um, if you put it on uh crank up fast forward, you're not gonna miss anything really because it moves <laughs> that slow. Um and you can watch it in about twenty minutes if you go through I think four X. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would recommend that because I think it's something to be experienced, but it is definitely something that if you don't like slow moving things, you're. Yeah. Um, but that I've seen it both ways and that is one way to experience that movie. (laughs) The other thing I wanted to talk about the flashbacks was timing on this because we saw in the first two episodes, we saw black bolt say why and kill his parents. And not, the, not just kill, atomize. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the impression to me was he didn't know his powers or he didn't know the full extent of his powers. And just uttering that one word is this tragic moment. And then we find out that they're actually talking about we need to get rid of this kid. <laughs> this is <laughs> this kid's dangerous. He could actually like punch a hole in our city. And and his parents are, no, we, we stand behind our child and we're going to take care of our child and when we love our child um but then they're they're going to be atomized by their child <laughs> and they sign their death warrant you know not on purpose but unintentionally they have and i i find it very interesting that he said why after they've already had this discussion about his power and so what is it what's the context that caused him to say that word. I, I'm very curious about this and I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to see the situation. I, I don't know that we will, but I would really like to see the situation that puts into context why he actually spoke the word. What is it that caused him to lose himself and say it? So I don't know, but I feel like maybe just in that moment, because he's a teenager and it's new to him that I, I think in that moment he 
sort of forgot how dangerous his voice had become. And just out of that moment of frustration, he said, why? And he accidentally killed his parents. And it's one of those situations where you do something terrible and it affects you. For, it, it, it helps you remember, even as terrible as it is, accidentally killing his parents. It helps you remember not to do that thing again, ever. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like when you're a little kid and you put your hand on something on a hot stove. Or you put something in the outlet. Yeah. I'm just more curious about just what it is that, that pushed him. And I don't think it was when I say pushed him, I don't I don't think it was a really high stress situation either. But just that desperation. Or, or I, I'd like to see it. I don't know how it would play out. I don't know if it'll play out in a way that would be satisfying to me. But I'd like to see just the, the events, the context. You want to know why he said why? I, I do. Like now, I'm just wondering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would like to. I would like to see that conversation too. So from here, we can talk about these characters, and I don't know if there's a character you want to start with, but first on my list, well, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say quickly. Um, well, we could wait for it later or discuss it now. But I was just thinking we were talking about d- dangerous characters. And there is another extremely dangerous character in this episode, but only when she's on the moon. And that's Flora. Um, because she can put her hands on the, on the earth and cause many earthquakes, basically. Um, on, on planet earth, that's not such a big deal because we have a molten core and that absorbs a lot of vibrations. But on the moon, the moon is a solid rock. And if an asteroid hits it uh, on one side, you feel it on the other side. Well, let's, so, let's talk yeah. about these new characters. Yeah, let's talk about because uh, Aaron gets a team and one of the people is is Flora. But I don't I don't. So you think her power is is that particular earthquake power is dangerous on the moon. And it's not think I know. Well, but because... I, I don't know if she has an earthquake power. I think that the tremors were coming from like growth of plants that she's okay. causing and like the movement of roots as she's uh, controlling plants. I think that's her power. Okay. So, it, but nonetheless, if it's n- enough to knock people off their feet and she does this, um, on the moon, I mean, it, it would still have the same effect basically. Unless, unless they design the city. To, to absorb naturally absorbs shocks from things that's like her. true yeah because you know also think about gorgon yeah you know, that's true he's using his powers he's that's true yeah you're right they probably did put shock absorbers under the city because that would be a major issue it, I, it actually would be a major issue just mining yeah <laughs> <laughs> when you think about it but yeah yeah, yeah. so then uh, the other new uh inhuman that we get is um locus who I couldn't really quite, I didn't catch what, what really that guy was doing. Um, okay. Me and then, neither. And then there's Mortis. Oh, Mortis. Yeah. Mortis. I love the character design. He's very scary. What is he like outside of that suit? Is he like a made of like photons or? I don't know, but it's really cool to think about the character design is cool, but also the way the actor is playing the character. Now I don't know how many actors are playing the character. If the person in the suit is actually doing the voice, but 
it's not how I would have expected that character to act. I mean, this character is basically just a guy who's kind of snarky. <laughs> and I liked him. Yeah. Yeah. I I liked that it didn't feel like you know, a, a typical I'm a dark, brooding, darky dark, brooding, broody type of person. And <laughs> instead he's, hey man, I didn't want this job any more than you wanted me to have this job. <laughs> And I just, I'm just imagining him as a late teen, early twenties, um, you know, just kind of disillusioned with the world because of the power set that he got (laughs) and, and he's in prison. Yeah. And yeah. So I'm wondering, is he chaotic evil or chaotic neutral? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Which we're definitely not going to get that answer now, probably towards the end of the season. Or maybe even, maybe even sooner. Next, because maybe next episode, yeah. There's definitely backstory with this character, though, and there's yeah. backstory with him and Aaron, and there's backstory with him and and the law. Uh, you know, from yeah, on the moon. So, all right. Well, let's start with Louise then. Okay, Louise. She's just there to get information. You know, she wants to get information from the police. The police don't give her any. And she does some research and she bothers the captain of the police. And um, but then she also happens to be there at the end of the episode when Medusa really needs her. So that's Louise for this episode. Or basically Medusa kidnaps her, which I doubt she really needed to go that far. I think Medusa could have just simply asked for her help. Yes. Yeah. But I I think it felt like to me it felt like a natural way to bring those two characters together. And then yeah. they're going to develop uh a guarded but mutual admiration that turns into friendship. Yeah. I think that's what's going to happen. And then they'll go shoe shopping later. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, clearly Medusa needs to do some clothes shopping. Yeah. <laughs> So I do not like her lavender wardrobe. It's just, uh, it just does. <laughs> I can accept that hair color because she's inhuman, which the lavender wardrobe, it just clashes. And me being a redhead, I'm like, ah, no, just stay away. You want to, you want to go for your, your blues and your greens and your browns. You know, yeah. even a, a dark purple is fine, but you stay away from that lavender. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. For me, the, the color scheme that she has, is very comic booky. Yeah, it, it works fine for a comic on, book, yeah. but so in yeah, you're you're talking about fashion colors, and I'll talk about comic book colors because that's something I study and and enjoy thinking about, and yeah, it works well, for me. It's I, it's not just for fashion colors. I mean, just thinking about um, war- costume design, uh, putting color on a. a a um, a piece of paper for a painting, you know, it's just a lot of color theory yeah, involved. You, you, you it's, it's not just fashion. You don't see it together very often, but I think that's part of why they did that color scheme for the character. Yeah, in the comics, more yeah. than anything else, is just finding color schemes because that's one of the most recognizable thing about characters in comics is just that. You know, if I say orange and green, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, and if I say green and purple. I could be talking about the Hulk or I could be talking about Joker, but those two things are probably going to pop into your head right away. 
Mm. Red, yellow, blue, gray, yellow, blue. I mean, those red, yellow, blue, you might think of Superman or Wonder Woman, depending. But Or Captain America. Well, red, white, and blue for Captain America. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, the color thing is an important element for you know keeping characters separate from each other. Uh, yeah. Especially back back then when the, the it was all bright color and not a lot of shades or subtle colors. Right. Um actually I recently from Netflix DVD got um Unbreakable. Yeah. And even <laughs> they have that same sort of color scheme where you have uh Bruce Willis with um more of the primary or actually if you look throughout that entire movie the heroes have the primary colors. Mhm. And the villains have the secondary colors, uh, secondary being um, green, orange, and purple. And they call and, it out in the movie. Yeah. They actually yeah. have the conversation about it. I don't want to give too much more away. But if you like superhero movies, oh, watch Unbreakable. Watch. Yeah. Yeah. Although it yeah. is a slower movie. movie. Yeah. But, but it, still, it has, don't watch it in Fast Forward. Yeah. <laughs> so. it, yeah. And it has Samuel L. Jackson and, uh, and Bruce Willis. And, and they're doing a sequel. Yeah. I thought they did a sequel already, or it's sort of a sequel. Sort of a sequel, and now they're doing an actual sequel that I think is going to be called Glass. So Unbreakable oh. refers to Blue, uh, Bruce Willis. Um, Split is that sort of sequel that we're talking about, and then Glass kind of ties things in together. But I'm not going to talk more about why they're calling it Glass, because you need to watch Unbreakable. Yes, yes. You don't have to watch Split, but watch Unbreakable for sure. I want to go watch Split. Actually, I, I borrowed unbreakable so i could watch split well i think you'll enjoy yeah. it um james mcavoy Good. is fantastic yes. i don't know if i said his name right but he's fantastic uh okay so any more about louise <laughs> okay uh, not <laughs> all really. of that was not about her at all but um uh, i mean i think you guys watched arrow and i did not and i'm just not interested in arrow funny enough <laughs> i did not i i don't watch arrow and and I did for a couple seasons. I still didn't know what they were talking about when in our Facebook group, they started our Facebook uh, conversation that we have. People started talking about it. Daniel Stewart. And I'm like, I think I can follow this conversation uh, because I think I know what you're talking about. But yeah. Yeah. But that's Louise doing the research, following up because she's got a hunch and it's a good one. Mm-hmm. And she's going to get kidnapped by Medusa because of her hunch. So should we move yes. to Medusa next? Yes. All right. So basically three things happening with Medusa. Thing one, the money machine bit. The money ma- Oh yeah, that was hilarious. I didn't <laughs> I didn't think so. I thought it was cheese ball. I, I She if she observed people enough to know that they got money out of that, you think she would have observed them enough to notice that they didn't ask it for money. They put cards in, press buttons. Yeah. And, you know, she's talking to it like it's some sort of, you know, voice recognition. Yeah, I I didn't go for that one. But then there was the scene where she goes to the Royal Estates, which is elsewhere on the island, and sneaks into a house and plays Goldilocks. Um, yes. <laughs> and I'm waiting for them to come home. They don't come home. But she steals food. She steals clothes. And she steals a look in the mirror. At her yeah. missing hair. And that was an emotional thing. I I thought it was yeah. a decent moment. Um, um, it's because a lot of people, 
um, I know in the Western societies, especially women, uh, we we put a lot of our identity into our hair. Um, so, I mean, really just taking that away. I mean, if you were to, if, say, hypothetically speaking, if, if someone was to kidnap a woman off the street and shave her head, she would feel violated and powerless. Um, and And that's very much where she is at that moment. But I would take it even a step further because I, I agree with you about the, the hair being a part of your physical identity yes. and, and an important part of your physical identity. It's something you spend time with every day, um, some people more than others. But then this was also another limb for her. Yes. Um, and I, I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but it's – it's not a limb that's going to cause her to bleed out. Like if you would lose an arm, you could die from losing your arm. Um, but she's, if you woke up the next day and, and you were missing your arms, uh, you would have a very, very hard time um, recovering from that. Yeah. And she's, she's dealing with that. So it's, I think it's not just her, it's not just a symbol of physical identity. It's not just a symbol of physical beauty. It's, it's her, it's an actual limb that she's lost and not just yeah. lost. It was taken away from her forcefully. Yeah. And, and, um, in quite the, in quite the most awful way possible. Yeah. So. Um, did you notice where she was? Other than in a house? No, not really. It's the Royal estates of, um, the Hawaiian King. Oh yeah. I, I don't know anything about that other than I saw the sign that said Royal Estates. Yeah. Um, Hawaii has a King and apparently that was his house. I don't know if that was his actual house, but, huh. but yeah, it was interesting that she chose to go there of all places in Hawaii. Well, it would make sense though, just from a symbolic standpoint. Yes. Uh, because of who she is as the queen. Um, the other thing she gets out of this is a, a purse to put stuff in and, <laughs> and a newspaper, um, yeah. which helps her to, to see what's going on with Black Bolt. And so that's what brings her into the climax at the end is that newspaper and you know television coverage and stuff. And so she, at the very end, arrives with a cab <laughs> to the prison where Black Bolt is and is there long enough to see a helicopter leave? And we'll talk about that helicopter soon enough. But uh, as she watches it leave, uh, Louise comes and Medusa pulls her gun on Louise and says, you're going to help me follow that thing. And so now Louise and Medusa, you know, divided. We had them all divided up, but now we have Louise and Medusa coming together and creating new bonds. More than yes. likely helping each other to, to find out about Black Bolt. So that yeah. is Medusa. From there, where do you want to go? Gorgon? Black Bolt. You want to go to Black Bolt? Then let's go to yes. Black Bolt. Um, there's some good stuff going on here. Now, to set up what's happening with Black Bolt, though, we need to go to Dr. Declan. Dr. G Declan wants to see Black Bolt. So he contacts a prisoner in the prison that Black Bolt is going to be in and says, do what I ask and I will help you. And... Boy, that feels like it's kind of a, a sinister thing going on here. But 
instead, um, Black Bolt gets put into a prison cell with this really tough-looking prisoner who Dr. Declan had had approached and on the phone. And instead of getting beat up, the guy starts talking to him. Did you get by, yeah. bit by a radioactive bug? Um, <laughs> and then he gets into some interesting conversation that we need to talk about. Let me guess. You woke up with a funky rock-like crust. And then he talks about how people like you are disappearing from all over. And I want to help you get out so you can protect your family. And Black Bolt kind of signs to him to ask why. And he says, this is why we help our friends. So the the guards aren't happy. They thought they were putting him in that cell with this tough, tough guy prisoner because he's going to get roughed up. doesn't happen. So they take him out and they put him in with the general population and they're all giving him hugs and stuff because he beat up cops. <laughs> so then the guards antagonize Black Bolt and a riot begins because the people who are in prison with Black Bolt are not happy about this. That diversion um, it allows uh, Black Bolt and Tough Guy to escape and and they get out and it turns out that the Tough Guy actually has a power. He's an inhuman. When he's talking oh. about that he's talking about that uh you know, you woke up with a funky rock-like crust. He's talking about himself. You're, you're talking about Sammy, the tough guy. Yeah, whoever it was that was helping him. I, I yeah, didn't write Sammy. his name, but yeah. And so he yeah. has he melts the garage door and, yeah. and gets Black Bolt out. Black Bolt gets out, gets in the helicopter. The helicopter has Doctor Declan inside, and yeah, they he escapes, not knowing. That Medusa is right there. He just missed her. Wah, wah. Mm. So I apologize beforehand if I call Dr. Dr. Declan Desmond. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I expected to say, come on, brother. <laughs> let me, hey, brother, let me help you, brother. But um, yeah. no, he's he's some form of scientist who has an interest in inhumans, it would seem. Yeah, which brings up another question. Why on earth are people still shocked to and confused that, you know, there are inhumans about? Why? I mean, because there's sometimes there are people that are that are shocked that there's life on other planets when, you know, just a few years earlier within the MCU, there's a giant actually a couple different incidences where there were giant wormholes opened up from other parts of the universe for aliens to come through. And I'm talking about both Avengers and uh, Thor: The Dark World. I'm, yeah, no, oh, very yeah. visible, very, yes. very, very noticeable. I mean, Agents of Shield had things happen that you could cover up, uh, but Avengers, no, that you weren't covering up the alien invasion. Um, I just had this conversation with someone at work today, and it's the I call it the the Godzilla syndrome. And it doesn't come from the movies. It actually comes from the animated cartoon, the Hanna-Barbera cartoon, where you have these three main characters who are traveling around the world, scooting around the oceans in their big, giant, scientific boat. And they have a box, a little handheld box that you press a button and it summons Godzilla. And they can tell Godzilla what to do, how to help them. And every episode, they are they're, they're tooling around. And then they see this giant monster that can't possibly exist. And they'll say that a lobster that big can't possibly exist. Let's get out the box and press the button and summon Godzilla. And it's just 
every episode, like you have a box that summons a 30 story tall monster. And you're telling me that a 20 story tall lobster can't exist. Like that's, and it happens, you know, 20 episodes in a row, 24 episodes, however many episodes there were. That's the problem here is <laughs> you're surprised that there's people with powers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, the one exception I will give is the psychiatrist in Iron Fist because he works with crazy people all day long. People, people who have, you know, who have hallucinations. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure he probably so, gets lots of people coming in saying, you know, now that they've seen superheroes and aliens in yeah. action. Yeah. Um, but he also has to be careful not to actually accidentally imprison people who really do have abilities. So right, he has to be would, careful of that. It would yeah. result in, uh, you know, a wall getting punched down by a glowing fist. Right. Yeah. Anyway, um, this this whole thing with Black Bolt in prison, I did not expect him to get broken out. I expected it to be a more legitimate kind of you know, thing where he's getting representation or, you know, like an, an inhuman activist or something like that. But yeah. And I thought him breaking out was just a little bit too easy, <laughs> but uh, then again, a we're little. a TV show crunch for time. Yeah. But uh, as far as that goes, it worked. Yeah, it worked. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's not much more going on here other than him seeing one of these, uh, for lack of a better word, you know, tainted inhumans who didn't go through the process the way you were supposed to go through it. But I'm so glad they called out the funky rock-like crust. They they talked yes. about it. And, you know, this is where we have to be careful because this is we're talking about inhumans in that series right now. But the funky rock-like crust is from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And that is how Inhumans were birthed on, on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You come in contact with the Terrigen and you get covered by this crust. And then when you break out of it, you either have powers or you're dead. And and then they're able, you know, when it's diluted, it still does the same thing but doesn't kill as many people. Um, so when it starts happening more and more across the Earth, people aren't dying from it and they're actually you know not being you know becoming rock crust things unless you're an inhuman and then you react to it and you get covered by the crust and yeah yeah i thought it was yeah. really neat that that this is yet another inhuman that we get i don't know if this is a comic book guy or not i had i didn't look him up but he doesn't have to be he can be just no. a guy and he wants to help his family and he wants to help this guy help black bolt help his family I really liked him. Yeah. yeah. I thought he was nice, but I have a feeling that next episode he might not be so nice or something. I don't think so. I, mm. I, it depends on what Declan ends up being. True. Like, I'm, I'm, we still don't know his motivations. Who is this guy? What does he want? What is he doing? Uh, I mean, it's clear that he is has you know money. And has a vested interest and in investment in in humans. He had an inhuman in jail that he could call on and and offer help to. So, yeah. Um, 
but then the other main stuff here with Black Bolt is flashbacks to his past and, and to his power. All right, so... Oh, just quickly, because you just mentioned flashbacks. Um, one note I have under that, um, 1,400 people. I think my graduating class had about 1,200 people. <laughs> well, and and I, so I, I, I'm thinking about my graduation, and I'm like, huh... <laughs> That's not really a lot. Yeah, I mean that's that's a a typical college campus, and it's... now now you figure in a caste system, and, <laughs> and you're looking at, you know, there's there's 900 people underground working on the mines, and 500 people up above, you know, doing the middle class stuff, and then you have like 20 people on the genetic council and the royal family. I mean, you're. Once you get into this yeah. kind of thing with 1,400, I mean, those numbers were not said. I mean, I'm, I'm making those numbers up, but 1,400 people was said. That is a small, small group of people. Uh, from there, let's go to, uh, let's just go to Gorgon. Okay. Um, well, let's start with Maximus and Oron because, or, or I'm not sure if I'm saying her name right. I, I keep saying, I think it's, I say it different every time. But Maximus and Crystal are the only two who are kind of together in this episode. Uh, and basically, he goes to Crystal and says, I want you to make a speech in front of the Genetic Council in favor of me and in favor of the things I want to do here and in favor of me being king. Um, but when he walks in on her, she's just listening to music on her headphones. I think we've had three scenes of her listening to music on headphones. Yeah. I guess maybe she's supposed to be sort of the, the teenager yeah. of the Royal family. That's the only thing I maybe? can think of. Yeah. Teenager, early twenties, maybe. Yeah. For some reason, she reminds me of Joy Meacham. Huh? And I, I don't know if it's just because I watched Iron Fist recently or if there really is something about the face and the, you know, the hair. Kind of the straight hair, shoulder length. I, I don't mm. know. But for some reason, she reminds me of Joy Meacham. Yeah, um, they do have a similar shaped face. So he threatens her, but not really. It's veiled threats. And she says she'll do it. She'll make the speech. But I promise I'll kill you if you go back on your word. Um, so then Max, Max <laughs> Maximus is sending Aron uh, some support, which includes Mortis. And so this is where we get the Mortis scene, uh, where we first see him. And it's a cool introduction, considering budget, I think. Um, he asks the prophet boy, uh, Brohim or Bro Brosif, or whatever the guy's I can't remember <laughs> the kid's name, but uh, he wants the little the prophet boy to see if anything happens when he opens the door. So the prophet kid touches him. There's nothing. He doesn't see anything. So maybe he only sees things when bad things are going to happen. But they open the door and they both kind of turn away from it as if to say, you know, we're going to die. Um, and the door opens and it's dark and there's just these shiny eyes. And then you get a closer look and there's this leather face. And it's kind of it's not symmetrical the the way the leather face is designed. And it it's a serial killer. It's a horror movie character design yeah um but then it's it's a horror movie character design with a like i said disillusioned 20 year old behind it and mm -hmm. he's not acting evil <laughs> you know he's not acting threatening at all he's he's just acting like a guy you know 
Yeah, the reason why I asked if um, he was made of photons, which is light particles, um, is because the mask he's wearing looks a lot like a welding mask. Yeah. Well, and that, that protects you from sparks and from um, the high-intensity light that comes off of a welding uh, machine. But then supporting that is when you – I mean you don't see any of his body at all except no. for the glowing eyes. And then when he opens the mask later on in the fight scene, his face blasts out. And it's this huge beam that's not just coming from his eyes. It's his face. And yeah, like like sort of like Cyclops. Yeah, only it's his whole face. Right. And and yeah. so Cyclops opens the visor and the energy that's the energy is always coming out of his eyes. And he closes his eyes and no energy is coming out. But if he opens it, that red energy blasts out of his his head. And so that's where the visor like filters the energy blast with the, with the ruby quartz or whatever it is that he has in there. And he opens it and then the blast is released. And that's the same kind of thing here where he opens his face mask and the blast is released and then he closes it and the blast stays inside. And, and that I think supports your theory of him being, you know, light inside there or some form of physical energy or something weird. I mean, yeah. It's definitely something weird. So he's like a walking nuclear, uh, nuclear explosion, basically almost. Yeah. And yeah. I, and I'm I'm sure we'll find out more about him. Yeah. Um, but then because go, he's just too cool of a concept to not explore who this guy is and no. why. <laughs> and yeah. They give him a great introduction, and then they give him a kind of counterintuitive uh, character uh, demeanor. Yeah. And yeah, they're, they're, he's too cool to, to not let him have have some more moments. So from there, we go before the genetic council with Maximus and he's going to abolish the caste system and he's going to free people from the mines. And Crystal's brought in and she's saying, where's Lockjaw? And he says, make the speech. And she makes a speech and the speech is Maximus is king of nobody. <laughs> Boom. And then she zaps the guards with her powers and escapes, finds Lockjaw, uh, which was easy. I mean, she knew where he was, um, <laughs> kind of slaps him awake with her powers. He wakes up enough to take him to where she, to take her where he took the others. And they <laughs> they appear in this place in Hawaii, I'm assuming. And he faints and then gets hit by an, an ATV, a four wheeler. Oh, <laughs> It's just this weird, that's our post credit scene. That's our, our post story, <laughs> you know, extra tag scene is the dog is there and an ATV just slams right into him and the guy goes <laughs> flying. And you know what? Lockjaw probably just has a couple bruises, but the ATV is probably totaled. Yeah. No, <laughs> he's that big. <laughs> and it's not that it hit at high speed, you know, where, but <laughs> it's just kind of weirdly random. Uh, but at the same time, we've already noted he's not necessarily the best when it comes to maybe going places on Earth. On the moon, no problem. He can get you right to the room you want to get to. But Earth is big. Ha I mean, even Hawaii is big. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with them. But she escaped already. 
also did not expect her to escape in this episode. Yeah. Not not my favorite yeah, character, I, but... No, I'm not entirely locked into her as a character. Not like the way I am with Mortis. Mortis is so cool, but... <laughs> <laughs> and well, I'm... And I, I was going to save this for later, but I'm just not impressed. I don't know if it's her acting abilities or if it's the poor writing, but I'm just not at all impressed with her. I'm going to say it's probably a little bit of column A, a little bit of column two. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, she's not my favorite character, but she hasn't really done much other than um. – well, I, I say that, but then you know she's the one who helped everyone escape the coup. Uh, she escaped here. Um, True. I mean she's done stuff. If, if nothing else, if she was a real person, we she's earned – she would have earned our respect for what she's done, but she's not the person I want to hang out with. Yeah. I mean in many ways I feel like we've spent more time with Lockjaw. Than with her. That poor dog. Yeah. Here, here, I thought they were knocking him out so that they could, you know, again, cost cut, cost cutting here with special effects budget. But no, I mean, he, he's been in every episode. So far, yeah. So, uh, let's talk Gorgon. Okay. Gorgon, the guy, the surfer guys that he is with right now used to be soldiers. And he tries to talk them out of fighting uh, the other inhumans that are going to come to him. Um, and the guys say, you know what? We'll fight for your king in honor of our king. And they're, they're willing to, to join the fight. And it's, so it's not just, hey, here's some guys with beer on the beach who are willing to, hey, I got, I got nothing to do this weekend. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang out with you and, and, and fight with you. Uh, no, these are guys who have legit experience and hardware as well. They've got guns. Yeah. Lots of guns. So Aron comes and she <laughs> has the exchange we talked about with Mortis. And I don't want to be here any more than you want me to be here. He says they find Gorgon by the, they find the building where Gorgon is supposed to be. They find his watch, but it's an ambush. The building's empty and they were waiting and they fight, um, and so this is where uh, Flora uses her power to shake the guys out of the trees and Mortis reveals his power. And as soon as he does that, Gorgon's like, we got to get out of here. <laughs> we, we can't stay run. And the other guys run and he picks up one of the guys who got hurt and, and couldn't run and, and carries him over his shoulders. And, and that's Gorgon. And actually that's, that's Aron as well. Um, yeah. I mean, okay. it is what it is. Not the fight I was expecting or hoping, um, but it was, it was a relatively organic scene as far as I felt like that's what could happen. I just was expecting there to be like more of an invasion or like <laughs> we're going to send eight of the best palace guards after him. And, and they do. They send five five talented fighters but and mortis who he's not a fighter he he's not a skilled soldier he's just death yeah is it bad that i was not terribly invested in his storyline in this episode in gorgon yeah 
No, it's not bad. That that's the problem, I think, with the division that we get here. True. Yeah. We we seen some scenes with the team together, as far as and I say team, uh, but uh, the royal family together. We've seen them sit down and eat dinner together, and those are important scenes. It's important to see our people breaking bread and being friends, but we never really saw them act out on a mission together. Yeah. And and I just, not that they would go on missions in the same way like the X-Men go on missions, but um, I feel like we really needed to, we really, we don't need to just get to know the characters. We need to get to know their friendships and relationships. And that's a major weakness in this series right now. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's Gorgon and Aron, and yeah. You want to talk Karnak now? Yes. Yeah, I like Karnak. Okay. So, Even though he's having all these issues, I like Karnak. <laughs> yeah. So you were um, you mentioned um, uh, Declan. And and uh, what's his name? I'm lost. Um, Desmond. Desmond. Yeah. 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 You mentioned that. There's another lost reference here. And that's when they're talking <laughs> to Karnak and they ask Karnak, you know, what are you doing here? And he says, I'm lost. I'm not a threat. I was lost. And I'm like, you're right, dude. You were totally lost <laughs> because you were on the island, buddy. So. You know what? They could have given that line to anybody, but just because it's him in that role and they're on Hawaii in this little makeshift hut, it that's only a lost reference in that scenario. If, you can only oh, have yeah. a lost character saying that to make it a reference. If anyone else had said it, it would not have been a reference. I don't even know if, if it was intended to be a reference. Because I know sometimes they try and avoid that kind of thing. My favorite example when they tried to avoid that kind of thing was uh, Mad About You, where Paul Reiser, um, who was on Aliens, is talking to his friend who has just split up from uh, his his friend has just split up from his wife. And he's like, why did you do it, man? Why did you just leave her? You know, and and, you know, we're all friends and you hurt her and she's our friend, but you're my friend. He's like, I don't know. It's just like there's there was just something inside. You ever see the movie where where there's the alien and it's just inside and it just bursts out. (laughs) And and Paul Reiser's character is like, I'm not familiar with that one. You know, um, it's really, really funny. But here it's it's the same kind of thing where I. It's not as obvious, but to me. There's no way that it was not intentional as a reference to Lost because yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's also organic to the situation. Speaking yes. of organic, they are growing organic plants here. Um, they are they're growing <laughs> weed at this house that he stumbles upon. And so he stumbles upon this house and the growers who live in the house, you know, they are not um they're they're suspicious of this guy. Why are you here? And He's interrogated by them and we see his powers not work again, where you see it, that scene where he's like, I could, he's tied to this post, but if he kicks this table over, it'll knock over this thing and that'll bring down the roof. That'll knock down the people and then he'll be able to escape. So he tries it and the table just falls over. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of a funny moment, but again, I wish we could have seen him with his powers longer. Um, Yeah. it, It just, I wish we, 
I wish we were getting maybe 15 episodes instead of 13 and that we could have spent two episodes actually seeing them just interact with each other and, and deal with a different problem. That's not Maximus. They don't need to go on a mission. That's I, I think that's the problem. I don't want them on a mission because that's not the type of people they are, but I, I would love to see them deal with another problem for an entire episode and see them deal with the problem together. And then yeah. when Maximus does the betrayal, we've actually spent time with Maximus. We've actually spe- spent time with the team. And when they get split up into this episode, we know what they're like together. We want them back together. Yeah. I'm Now that I'm thinking about it, um, the one thing I did like about Inhumans episodes one and two was over Iron Fist was that it has a faster pace. But now I'm beginning to think maybe they're going a little bit too fast. Yeah. For this for the sake of the story. So So Karnak wants to stay with them and not go back to his family now. So he's actually making the case, let me go, I just want to help my family. But when they finally decide to let him go, he's he says, I actually I don't want to go right now. And he gets his wound, his head wound treated by the the lady farmer. Um and they have a nice conversation. We get some backstory with him about his tattoos and she's saying, where, where'd you get the tats? He, he says, those are a decision I made when I was a teenager and I thought it was a great idea then, but now it's a reminder of how far I've come. I'm someone who don't make, I, I don't make mistakes, but now I do. Mm. And, and so he, she talks about how family's family, they'll always be there for you. And he says, but if I can't be there for them, you know, can I stay here? And he can stay as long as he's useful. So he's going to help grow weed <laughs> in the middle of the Hawaiian forest. Uh, Whatever. I mean, okay. as long as it makes sense in the long run, that's fine. I mean, okay. this is the long game we're playing here within humans. They, you know, they, they have an intentional season set of however many episodes. And, and here we are at episode three, right? Three out of eight. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So there it is. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think that might be all the characters then. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Uh, Louise, Medusa, Gorgon, Crystal, Maximus, Aron, Karnak, Black Bolt, Declan. Oh, I did miss ever miss this one note. Um, while Maximus may be right about fighting for the rights of the slaves or the people working down in, in the, um, in the mines, um, it's really his manipulations that make him a black hat. Otherwise he, (laughs) yeah. Otherwise he'd be a white hat in this series because, um, his family and the society he lives in, they're taking people and telling them that they are beneath them because they don't have any special abilities. Yeah, well, what makes you a good person or a bad person is not necessarily just the things you do. It's the reasons you do it. Yeah. And I, he probably feels like he's a good guy. He's doing, he's, he's saving all these people, you know. But at the same time, he, he knows that his real motivation is to put him in the seat of power that he feels like he should have. Because his brother didn't even want it. 
And yeah. I mean, that's one thing we get from the flashback is his brother's talking. I don't want this. I don't want to be king. That's boring. Blah, blah, blah. And Maximus steps up. I'll do it. I, I want it. And um, yeah, so that I mean, that's that's a life lesson for you right there. You know, just yeah. doing the right thing doesn't make you a good person. It makes you a person who's done a good thing. You want to do the good, the right thing for the right reasons. And, and that's where doing the wrong thing for the right reasons, you know, there's more grace for that when you make an honest mistake. I, I, I did this thing that ended up hurting people, but I wasn't trying to hurt people. I was actually trying to help people is you're going to get a lot more forgiveness than I did this thing because I want to hurt people. Yeah. So, um, and there's also a lesson in there that, um, and you can see this in real life that frequently the better leaders tend to be the people that don't want that position of power in the first place, but they yeah. find when they're in that position, they find that they realize that, um, they can use that to help others and they, they put others before they, they put the whole of the people before themselves. I've always felt that when at least since I started becoming aware of presidential elections. Yes. I just get the feeling that, you know, I don't want to vote for anyone who actually wants to be president. Yeah. <laughs> and it, because if you want to be president, I can understand saying I want to be president because I want to help people, but I really don't know how many people I've even seen. I mean, obviously, I don't know everyone's true motivation, so I can't speak to true motivations. I can only speak to my impression, my perception. And my perception is most of the people who are running for office are not running for office because they really want to help people. It's because they want to be in that position. Right. And they they want to be in that position of power, maybe because they want to help people. And if I have the power, I can help the people. But... Maximus yeah. is definitely not that <laughs> he's he, he's saying it. He might even believe it, but that's not the driving force because if the driving force was that he wouldn't have to do that. He wouldn't have to use these machinations to become king in order to affect positive change. Right. I mean, he, he would be working to support black bolt if that was true. Yeah. And support black bolt, but then be the voice of reason about, yeah. Hey, this system sucks, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> we got to change this because and and this is where you start telling people story. And this is where you start causing Medusa and Black Bolt to see what it's like and to experience this. And, and then you have the conversation about, well, we can't survive without that happening down there. But then you realize, hey, you know what? Medusa and Black Bolt could go down in the mines for a day and do a work a day every week. And and yeah. use her hair and use his voice even, you know, and, and do these and everyone gets a turn. And I'm not saying communism. I'm saying, you know, community, uh, 1400 yeah. people who are literally related to each other. Yeah. You know, you can create a community where everyone's working together. It doesn't have to be. A complete democracy and it doesn't have to be uh you know a communist society you can keep the keep the monarchy you know yeah. black bolt and medusa get to do the rules but um yeah i <laughs> when your leaders are willing to get down and dirty with you you're gonna follow your leaders yeah 
And you know, with with 1,400 people, it is very plausible that Black Bolt and Medusa could get to know everybody easily. Absolutely. Between the two of them anyway. I mean, they might not be able to get to know everybody on a personal level, but but it's it's a very small population. They quite possibly between the two of them, between the entire ruling council of people. So let's put it Karnak and Gorgon and Medusa and Black Bolt in there. Between the four of them, if they really wanted to, they could play the name game. And, and yeah. li- literally, you know, every Friday, hey, if we can't say everyone's name, you know, <laughs> then then you get to have cake or something. And they, they could do that kind of thing. And yeah. between the between the four of them, just taking 350 people each. That's yeah. that's doable. Yeah. So this is why I think maybe a couple episodes of just normal life. And, and not one episode of normal life that's building out into Maximus's betrayal. Yeah. Like a couple episodes of normal life that they have to deal with a problem altogether. Maybe we'd be more, a little more accepting of this social structure. Yeah. So we've had some now some good leadership lessons for you and some moral lessons for you. Uh, I think our work here is done. Uh, do you have any other notes, Samantha, before we move into our, our listener feedback? Uh, that's it. All right. Yeah. Then let's move into listener feedback because we have two, uh, we have four voicemails from two people. (laughs) So, uh, the first two voicemails I'm going to play are from, uh, Jeff who actually called in, uh, earlier about the IMAX experience, (laughs) whatever, but he called in about that. And now he's calling in about episode three. Hey, this is Jeff calling in from Missouri. Just wanted to talk about the third episode of Inhumans. A few things I didn't like very much. Uh, some of the dialogue was not good and not acted well. Gorgon's speech with his uh, band of warriors, not good. Basically, anything that came out of Crystal's mouth or Oron's mouth, uh, not good either. Uh, I did like a lot of the new characterization. I liked uh, some of the... Uh, the usurping Inhumans that came down to Earth, I really kind of like uh, Cyclops' faces, um, bad attitude. I like how he just kind of snarks at everybody. Um, I also like a lot of the acting for uh, Karnak, although he didn't really have a lot to do. Um, I really like him as an actor, and I feel like when his character's pointed in the right direction, it's really good. Although I don't know that, uh, you know, maybe marijuana is going to help him get his powers back. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, um, I'm still watching it, still looking forward to it, although, it, you know, the excitement of seeing it on IMAX has definitely uh, worn off. I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say, and I hope you have a great day. Bye. Hey, this is Jeff from Missouri calling back. I need to make some notes or something before I call you guys. I'm pretty disorganized. Uh, anyway, just some more thoughts. Uh, I really love the villain, Maximus. Uh, the way that he, like, manipulates Crystal in that bedroom scene when he tells her that it was good that she chose to do this instead of him making her do it was really powerful. Uh, I felt kind of cheapened by the ease, like, the ease in which Crystal escaped and got back to Earth, but, uh, it was pretty surprising to see an ATV run into a passed out lockjaw. Uh, my other point really is, does anybody else think that the music is sometimes too much? 
there are certain scenes where I was watching it and the music would swell up and become very cinematic and it was overbearing. And I thought it distracted from what was happening on the screen. Um, I didn't really care for that. Sometimes they just need to dial back the music a little bit. Uh, aside from that, I hope you guys are having a great day and um, I'm going to enjoy my Sunday off. Thank you. Bye. All right. So, Samantha, first of all, I think if we ever cannot remember Mortis's name, Cyclops face is a very <laughs> good. Uh, uh, it's a good nickname. Let's put it that way. I mean, we have we've had low rent TV Magneto. Um, this is not low rent TV Cyclops. Absolutely not. No, the effects were great. But Cyclops face, yeah, we're, we're I, I'm 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 good with that. So yeah, Stuart, Michael, Evan, Daniel, if you're listening, uh, that's official <laughs> as as director of Welcome to Level Seven. I'm I'm officially saying Cyclops is uh, Jeff. Uh, I appreciate Jeff you giving us that new name. So uh, second, Karnak didn't have much to do, but that's because nobody had much to do. <laughs> this episode had. <laughs> eight major characters all in their own little plot line and, you know, rarely interacting with each other. In fact. So yeah, crystals, easy escape. We've talked about that a little bit, but the music, I don't know, Samantha, have you, have you noticed much with the music? Um, probably now from now on, I'm going to notice it, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but this is, this is a IMAX. Actually, they're producing um, the series. Or at least I thought I saw it in the credits. So I would not be surprised if they're going for more a cinematic style. I, I, <laughs> Hush, Siri. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> so we had another host all along. Didn't even know. Um, I think... I think I agree with you on, on that. I think they are going for a cinematic feel. Um, the only times I've really noticed the music though, were when locked Lockjaw first appears in the first episode and it just gets really just it's clown car, you know, it, yeah. doot, 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 doot. Um, and then the other times I notice it are when they use classic rock and I love it. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. Well, our next feedback is, I mean, I call it listener feedback, but it's actually from our guy in the chair, Daniel Butcher. So let's hear what Daniel Butcher, our current guy in the chair, meaning he's our support guy who's posting on social media, but also co-founder of the podcast. Let's see what he has to say about Inhumans, episode three. Agent Daniel here calling in about Inhumans, episode three or two. Who knows? Who can keep track, for heaven's sake? All right, so um, can we talk about a show, a show about nothing? Because that's really kind of what Inhumans feels like to me. I mean, I don't mean to be harsh, but this is a hot mess of a program. And this show is about nothing. Nothing. You know what it's about? It's about coincidence. The coincidence that Gorgon falls into surfers who just happen to be former special forces. Yeah. Yeah, that's coincidence. Come on, Ben. Talk about that coincidence. Or the coincidence that the house Medusa breaks into doesn't actually have a security system, but has rules of cash. And let's not forget 
the coincidence that, uh, well, not even a coincidence, the fact that Black Bolt can escape with, from prison was quite, frankly, the slowest inhuman ever. Seriously, guys, run through the prison. It's a prison break. Take a run for it, boys. Oh, but don't worry. When we get to the big wall, I've got the slowest melting powers of all time. Beware me, the mighty melter. Someday this door will open. Not yet, but perhaps later, if we don't get caught first. Maybe the door will open. Maybe. Wait, 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 and open. Yeah, seriously, I'm going to be honest. Sometimes... And humans kind of feels to me like a high school play done wrong. Um, some of the the acting, the scenes, the use of warehouses, the fact that Mortis, as much as I want to like him for being the evil little poop he is, at the same time his voice is so off-putting that I, I he doesn't fit in. Uh, it's official. It's official. In humans, low rent TV, the gifted. That's what it is. Low Red TV to gift it. Because that show's good! Alright. Maybe I'm a little fired up. Maybe I gotta drop a boom. But seriously. Seinfeld. That's the Inhuman. The show about nothing. Maximus is right! Read the slime! Oh, wait. I'm back. Hey, remember last week where I made a comment about how Inhumans on Adeland don't crust up and get into the that cocoon. Um, yet, um, it seems like, and tell me if I'm wrong, Black Belt knows all about the cocooning, and humans talk to him about cocooning, so is it if you're just on Adelan you don't cocoon, or were we just supposed to uh, imagine that the psychic boy cocooned, I, and, and, his, and his sister? I mean, seriously, this cocoon thing keeps coming back, but yet in Adelan we see no cocoons. So, yeah, it's all connected. All right, so those two messages for, were from Daniel. And <laughs> first to argue, Daniel, I mean, it's clear to me, it was clear to me before they even mentioned cocoons, that if you're if you're not part of the ceremony and you're not doing it in the right way, you're going to have a cocoon and it's going to be really uncomfortable and leave a big mess. But... If you're in the chamber having the official ceremony with the official people doing it correctly, it's the difference between going to a dentist to have your tooth extracted and going to your Uncle Merle on the (laughs) farm to have your tooth extracted. All right. One way, it's not going to bleed and it's not going to hurt. And the other way, it's going to bleed and it's going to hurt. Yeah. It's nothing against your Uncle Merle. It's just if you're putting a string and tying it to a tractor as he drives away from you, <laughs> it's going to hurt. It's going to bleed. And that's the difference between doing it right and professionally and doing it wrong and getting a rock cocoon. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll fight that one. But I thought that the uh, maybe there was something with the uh, crystal cases that they were standing in, uh, sort of 
acted like the cocooning and it prevented cocooning at the same time. Yeah. So actually I think technically those would be considered coffins. They're upright, but well, whatever you want to yeah. consider them, I think that they give us enough information that they're able to show us but not tell us. Right. And and I and I think Black Bolt does know about the cocoons because they know about inhumans on the earth and they know about this kind of, you know, tainted way of people becoming inhumans. So that now the coincidence stuff. Daniel, you're right. Mm -hmm. You're right. I mean, I hate coincidence in storytelling. You get one or two good coincidences with me, and that's only if they naturally push the story forward. I can't stand it when stories are just completely built on coincidence. Um, and the Gorgon stuff, I didn't even notice that as a coincidence because it just felt dumb. Just, okay, these surfer dudes just happen to be special forces. Yeah, it's coincidence, but I wasn't even feeling bad about it because it was coincidence. I was thinking, oh, this just isn't, isn't well done. So, yeah, show now about it, nothing. <laughs> yeah. And now when, as we progress through the series, I'm going to keep hearing the Seinfeld music in my head <laughs> as opposed to the big dramatic symphonies. <laughs> yeah, no, it's <laughs> uh, all that said, it's I think we need to, to close this down. We're going to turn things over to Stuart and let him talk about Star Trek for a little bit. Uh, up by himself. I will be joining him soon because I've strategized my way around how I'm going to watch Star Trek Discovery and pay the amount that I feel appropriate for doing so. And that is I'm going to pay for two months. I'm going to do a free week, finish the season out, and then cancel. And that's one month. And then, and then when it comes back, I'm going to wait and there's there's gonna be like six episodes on the on the back end or whatever. Wait until they get into that one month period and do a second month. Twelve bucks, thirteen episodes. That's appropriate. It's good enough. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. So that's what I'm gonna do. But for right now, whatever Stuart's talking about after this, I have no idea what he's saying. So yeah, same here. I'm gonna wait until uh, November or just a few weeks from now to get Hulu. Yeah. Well, so. but it's not on Hulu. Oh, it's not yet. No, no, it's it's not going to be. Oh, it's oh, yeah, yeah no, not the Star Trek stuff. Now the Hulu you need for Runaways, right? And I thought, it, I thought Star Trek was uh, Discovery was also going to be on Hulu. I'm sorry. No, no, not anytime soon. Anyway, uh, they haven't said anything about that. No, you need Hulu for Runaways if you're going to follow that, and then also you need Hulu for for my purposes anyway. And I'm able to use Hulu to watch um, ABC programming online and don't have to put in my uh, cable provider to watch it on the website, on the ABC website or whatever they have, because I, I don't have a cable provider to put in and, and to be able to watch those things. So, yeah. So Hulu works for me in, in that sense as well. Okay. Um, yeah. And then there's the freeform stuff that's coming next year that I'm hoping, cause there are some freeform shows on Hulu. And so I'm hoping that those will be, because did you know Disney is like a one third owner of Hulu? I uh, did not know that. Yeah. I, I can't remember the other companies that they are, that they own it with, but they're not a majority holder, but that, that explains to me why so much ABC programming is showing up on Hulu because they, they actually own 
own Hulu or part of it. Mm. So it also makes sense that after the success of the stuff on Netflix, that they would go with Hulu and, and do some stuff with Hulu because they actually are, are partners with Hulu. So, okay. Yeah. So Samantha, any parting words? Yeah. If you're going to be a, a human in an inhuman world where you're part of the Royal family, so you don't have to, to work down in the mines, don't become a black hat. It does not help. You know, it's it's interesting because it's kind of a, a take on the Incredibles, you know, if everybody's special, then nobody's special. But what yeah. about a world where no, where everybody's special except for you? That makes you the special one. Maximus. That makes you you're the, the special. special one. Now I'm thinking of the Lego movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, uh, I just want to leave this off and complain about a restaurant that I went to today because I went to the restaurant and and I was thinking, you know, what wouldn't it be awesome? You you heard of turducken, right? Where it's it's a turkey stuffed with a chicken, stuffed with a duck. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be awesome if you could have like a a hamburger hot dog, right? You know, so it's like a hamburger put together with a hot dog and maybe it'd be shaped like a hot dog, so it'd be on a hot dog bun, you know, but you're you're using the meat from the cow and you're putting it in with a hot dog. But the problem, Samantha, is there is no cow dog. Cow dogs don't exist. Thanks once more for listening. You've heard us. Now we'd love to hear from you. Just go to welcome to level seven.com slash feedback to contact us through our website. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling one seventy seven fifty five level seven. You can also join the conversation by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash welcome to level seven, or by following us on Twitter where we are level seven pod. Welcome to Level 7 is a proud member of the Noodle Nicks Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to help you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, get productive in your personal and professional life, theorize over TV shows, laugh at our clean comedy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, Godspeed. Okay, so post-credit for this episode of The Inhumans is going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery. Yay! Woo! The fanfare. But it's not really a fanfare because it's a war movie. So boo, war. Uh, there will be spoilers. I don't have the spoiler organ, so I'm going to go boop, 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 spoilers, spoilers. You've been warned of spoilers. Okay. So let's talk Star Trek. Um, first off, I, I'm going to talk about the first three episodes. Um, Vulcan Hello, Battle Between the Binary Stars, and Context is for Kings. Uh, 
we've discussed the whole paying uh, for it in depth. You can listen to Ben and I wax poetically about that, I'm sure, somewhere. Uh, but I will say, I do think that not putting the Vulcan Hello and Battle Between the Binary Stars together as a, as the as like a two hour movie or as a you know two hour pilot like pretty much every other Star Trek has done um, was a misstep uh, and I think that should have been on CBS and then I think the the third episode Context is for Kings on um, on CBS All Access would have been perfect but that's not for me to decide I don't make the rules. Okay, so let's talk about a little bit of the Vulcan Hello. Um, when we meet the Vulcan, when we meet uh, the USS Shenzhou, um, we meet Captain Georgiou and First Officer Michael Burnham, played by Michelle Yeoh and Sonequa Martin-Green, respectively. Um, they are on a planet trying to um, not break Directive Number One, and, which is the Prime Directive, and. Um, they are on there trying not to do that, but also save the planet from radiation, which they'll be dead in a thousand hours or something like that. Uh, so they do, and then they get lost, and then they walk around in the form of a delta, which, which I saw, which, which I thought was very cool. I really liked that sort of symbolism, um, and I liked the fact that Captain Giorgio was trying to teach, you know, First Officer Burnham. Um, how to be a good Starfleet officer. We get the feeling that she's kind of off kilter a little bit in this first episode. Um, Michael Burnham's a little off kilter. And we, we come to realize that the reason she is is because she was raised on Vulcan. Uh, by Sarek, which is a little weird. A little weird. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, I get it. It makes sense. I'm buying into it. But still a little weird. So, anyway, um, then they, they're up in space, they're flying around, you know, making, making waves, and they, they come across this thing that's on the edge of the, the new, you know, the edge of the border of Federation space, and the reason they're there is because, uh, one of their satellite relays has, you know, a bite taken out of it, and then they realize that there's Klingons, they have a fight, Michael Burnham is trying to save everybody, and so she Vulcan neck pinches uh, Captain Georgiou, which, you know, that's an act of mutiny. Apparently, it's the first ever act of mutiny in the Federation, which is a little, I don't know about that. I mean, they said it in the show, so it's got to be canon, but I can't believe that, you know, in between now and the time the Federation starts, like 300 years, no one's ever done an act of mutiny. Really? But anyway, uh, so th the first episode ends with, oh no, the Klingons are going to, are going to battle and the, they're going to fight the Federation. And what are we going to do? The second episode starts with lots of destruction and war. Um, so the battle with the binary star, they do a lot of fighting, a lot of space battling, um, reminds me of Star Trek online. <laughs> Which, that's not a bad thing. I love Star Trek Online, and I would be playing it right now, except for life getting in the way. Um, but so, the Battle of the Binary Stars is basically your battle episode. It's a few minutes shorter than the um, 
then the 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 Vulcan Hello. Um, oh, which I forgot to mention. Okay, so the reason it's called the Vulcan Hello. So at, at some point, Michael Burnham calls Sarek and is like, "How did you guys fight the Klingons?" And the and the um, Sarek says, "Well, what we did was the first time they they." we encountered them, they beat us up. Second time they, we encountered them, we shot everything at them. And then that's how we said the Vulcan hello. So Michael Burnham is like, this is what should happen in the, uh, this is what we should do. And Captain Giorgio's like, no, that's not how Starfleet works. So that's really where the conflict came in. Uh, Michael Burnham believed with everything that she needed to, um, in order to save the Federation, in order to save Captain Giorgio specifically, she had they have to, you know, fight very badly right now. So they don't, and then they do, and Captain Giorgio dies by the hand of a Klingon, and then Michael Burnham shoots the Klingon and makes him a martyr. Ah, sad to Kovma. He dead. Um so then the end of the episode is Michael Burnham being tried for mutiny. And then that leads us into the third episode, which I like to think of as more of a pilot than the first, than the first two episodes. I really do believe the first two episodes would have been very well done, like to show it in the movie theater or to show it, you know, as one entity, um, maybe flesh out that little, that second half a little bit more. Um, I'm really, you have no idea how upset I am that there isn't a handoff. Okay. So reason why I'm saying a handoff, the handoff in Star Trek, in my head canon is when the, uh, an actor from a previous series or movie shows up on the pilot of the new series. For example, when you had Star Trek The Next Generation encounter at Farpoint, who did you have? You had an old, crusty Dr. Leonard McCoy. And then when you went to DS9, you had a, you know, balding um, Captain Jean-Luc Picard. And then when you went to, uh, when you went to um, Voyager, Quark was there at the bar with the two, with the two cadets. And then when you went to um, Enterprise, you had uh, Captain or Zephyrin Cochran show up and do the speech at the thing. So it worked like those are really fun things, and that didn't happen in this episode or these two episodes. Okay, so context is for Kings. Michael Burnham is sitting on her prison transport, getting ridiculed by a bunch of prisoners, and then they encounter bugs. The pilot dies, wah, wah, and then the Discovery saves her. Okay. So this episode is about the you know Michael Burnham reuniting with Saru, reuniting with um, another members of the of her crew, and then also getting shunned in public by um, Federation types. Oh, and there's a big chase scene with a monster and then dead Klingons. So what's interesting about this episode to me is. Um, it introduces us to everything. It introduces a new character, you know, Tilly, Cadet Tilly, who's a breath of fresh air in this episode. It introduces um, the new captain, Captain Lorca, who is unlike any captain we've ever seen. And that's not a bad thing. This is a wartime captain. Remember, this is the Klingon War. And although we've been in Federation in war, I mean, the um, the Dominion War was pretty bad. 
and Captain Cisco did some bad things in there. Let's not let's not mince words. But to be fair, um, this is a wartime captain, and he will do anything to to save the Federation and win the war and kill a bunch of Klingons. I'm not sure where this sits in you know the Star Trek Great Bird of the Galaxy mythos. I do know that this is you know so this is the prime timeline. It is before. Um, Kirk, it is parallel time with Captain Pike. So somewhere around in the galaxy, Captain Pike is, you know, pining over a girl at Talos 4. Okay. Uh, context is for Kings. This is a dark episode. It's kind of a ghost story, um, horror flick type of episode. The, the, the crew goes to their sister ship who is, you know, floating derelict in space, and then they transport over there, or fly their little shuttlecraft over there, and then they find a big monster. And then they run from the big monster, the big monster kills some things, doesn't kill some things, whatever, it's fine, big monster. So then Captain Lorca saves the big monster. And that's pretty much it. The These, these episodes are chapters in a book. They are not typical Star Trek episodes that finish, <laughs> right? One leads to another. They might have little stories that, that might, you know, be the bones of an episode, but really one will lead to another. I mean, this is modern storytelling, uh, modern television storytelling. Okay. Do I like this series? Absolutely, yes. Do I think it's better than the Orville? It's two different things. You're talking about a wartime um, reflection in modern society, and then you're talking about the nostalgia of 90s Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, two different things. There's a place in my heart for both of them. Is one better than the other? No. They're, they're equal. I like them both the same. Do I think it is worth paying your $5.99? Um... Yes, I do, but I think that there's ways around it. If $5.99 is a little much, I think maybe waiting for it to be over all the way and then dropping the, you know, the $10 and powering through them all, that might be a better way to go. You know, $10 would be no commercials. Um, I do wish this was on terrestrial TV. I do wish this was on CBS. I think it's, I think it's worthy of being in CBS and on the primetime uh, lineup. But that being said, they're trying to push the envelope here a little bit with um, with it. Okay, I've said my Star Trek piece. Peace out, everybody. Bye.